Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us. There were competitive games, though. They were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up. We were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Hey, welcome back to the Pure Victory Podcast. Matt here, Braden here. We got a guest here, and I'm a little jealous of this guest. Braden, have you ever got a hole in one? No. That's, uh, I don't know if I ever will either. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I had a buddy, my first round of golf this year, he asked me, he's like, you want to go play? He gave me two options for which courses. And one was a par three course. I'm like, man, par 18 par threes. Let's go get a hole in one. Mm-hmm. And didn't happen. And then Andy Ponstein in Hudsonville in the States, he texts me, <laughs> sends me this video of him plucking this ball out of the, out of the hole. How'd that feel, Andy? Uh, it's pretty good. It's been a long time coming, so uh, it was uh, it was a fun time. I think I joked with you, Matt, that uh, that particular hole, that or that particular course, I grew up playing, and uh, it's a local country club, and we were members, and I've played thousands of rounds, and the closest I've ever come to a hole in one was on that particular par three. It's a 150 yard par three but I was about 10 years old because I remember I hit a five wood from the ladies tee and it rolled all the way across the green, rolled around the hole and rolled out and actually sat on the lip. And so I think it owed me one. So, uh, you know, like 30 years later, 35 years later, it, uh, it gave me one. So, uh, yeah, it was wow. fun. It was a, uh, it was a good time. My, my wife was there, my daughter and my to be son-in-law. So it was fun. Wow. You joined Elite uh, Company, I think, there, Andy. Is there a secret club now that you're part of? Is there they where you wear jackets and stuff? And- <laughs> yeah, what happens after? <laughs> I'm curious. I've heard, because I, I hit a Titleist golf ball, and I've heard if you if you send in, they'll send you a badge and, like, a medal. I'm going to go for that, but I don't, I don't know of any jackets. The good part was, 
um, it was our, it was our school outing. So, um, and my, my kids are part of a Christian school here in, in uh, Hudsonville. And so I didn't have to go and buy everybody a round of drinks or anything. It was just, uh, we had a good time. The bad part was I did it on hole 13 and, uh, I got a $50 Under Armour gift card, which is great. But if I had done that hole three, I'd have gotten a Maserati. So oh. not really the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. 50 bucks for a Maserati. Yeah. Shoot, right? Let's make a deal, right? That's a bad deal. Oh man. Wow. Well, keep playing another 37 years. Maybe you'll get another one and do it yeah. on the right hole. You'll get your Maserati someday. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Well, Andy, why don't you share how you got connected? You've, uh, it's, it's been awesome. You've been in one-on-one coaching and group coaching, but you can just share a little bit about how you got connected with Restored and what the reasons were for that. Sure. I heard your story, Matt. I was actually listening to another podcast. I don't know if we plug other podcasts on here. Yeah, yeah go for it. I, I was listening to the Unrelenting Pursuit podcast. Which, you were on it. Which I love. You, everybody listen to Unrelenting Pursuit. Yeah, they're fantastic. Uh, we've had the chance to really get to know them both. And uh, Brad and Lisa, they're, they're awesome. So I was listening to your story on that. And I've been on this process, on this journey of healing from sexual sin and sexual deviancy for a while now. And it's, it's a, such a battle. So always looking kind of for allies and looking for new, new weapons to fight. And when I listened, I heard your story. It really kind of struck me. My story's somewhat similar to you, at least in the same vein as, as what I heard you saying. And I thought, man, I bet he and I would connect in some of this because we have some similar background. So I uh, went online and, and uh, I, I think I sent you an email and we ended up talking and yeah, going through some coaching and now in some group stuff, et cetera. But it's been fantastic and it's, it's led to a lot of freedom for sure. Well, that's so amazing you reached out, Andy, because I think a lot of people, maybe they really want to reach out, but something's holding them back. It might be the shame sure. or maybe there's a little bit of embarrassment or you just think I don't need to reach out because maybe I can try something else. Maybe I'll figure this out. And so why did you reach out, Andy? What, what kind of drove you to do that? Cause I think a lot of people get to that point, but they never move past it. Because I couldn't win. Mm-hmm. I could sit and fight and try to beat this by myself. And that's hard for me because I'm a guy that is used to being successful that's how my life would be would be based and yet I couldn't beat this no matter what I did I had to reach out and I had to get some more tools and some more weapons and people around me that would hold me not only accountable it's hard to hold somebody accountable across the country but it's it was uh, vital to me to surround myself with people that I knew cared and that I knew had maybe been down this road and I knew had uh, had experience in fighting it. That it's been a blessing to work with Restored in that capacity. Well, it's been really cool because you you have taken the approach of diving in and and taking things seriously, which has been great in you know formal meetings, but also apart from that, taking advantage of just reaching out and and talking to guys whether it's in your group or coach or whatever. And so you have taken it seriously and obviously the results are there, but why don't we go back and talk about what led you to it? Cause there's like, when you were involved in your sexual sin, what did that look like in terms of what were you doing and, and what was the impact of that? So 
I, I had alluded to the fact that being successful is very important to me. And I'd also alluded to the fact that Matt's story really resonated with me. And I'll go back to that. I, I grew up in a Christian household. I went to a Christian school. I went to a Christian college. We did a lot of things that would check the boxes to say, you're on the right track. Unfortunately, sometimes I believe that's what it was for me. It was checking a box. I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, we are still married. I'm not really sure why. I mean, why she's kept me around, but she has, and she's still here. And, and I'm thankful every day to God for that. But uh, my connection with Matt, I know Matt had, had uh, worked at hockey at a, at a significant level. Um, for me, it was, for me, it was racing. So I uh, began racing snowmobiles when I was 12. And then by the time I was 15 years old, I was into full-fledged stock cars and continued to succeed in them. And like any other sport, continued to move up levels until ultimately I was in the NASCAR, what was the Bush series originally, and then the Nationwide series. And I ran the the what was the craftsman truck series i believe it's the camping world truck series now i'm not 100 sure and so from 2003 till 2011 quite literally made my living racing in nascar whether it was racing on the track or testing or being a part of teams it was it was what i did and while i achieved a level of success it was never, I never, what well, you say, truly made it, right? So you, you get so far and, and whatever circumstances happen right down to the fact that, uh, you know, you're not good enough. I, you know, there, there comes a level at which you, you are, and a lot of factors play into that, but my career stalled out. That was how I defined myself. That was who I saw myself as. And it, it threw me for a complete tailspin. Throughout this time, from my childhood, I was a pornography addict. I was first exposed to pornography at, I'm going to say, nine or ten years old, um, which was a very vulnerable time in my life already from some other stuff that went on. And I had continued down that road, in and out, you know, kind of, on the outside of it sometimes, but other times fully involved in whatever I could find. And it continued. Now I, now I have this crisis in my life. I'm losing the, uh, the thing that I use to define myself. I'm losing what I considered myself to be. So as that's happening, I'm free falling into this world of pornography and I'm angry, you know, and I'm kind of uh, rebelling. And it, it actually led me into a full-fledged affair uh, that I, I had on my wife. And we, that was, ended up being found out. We did some counseling. We did some work. Uh, she did a lot of work to really rehab through that process. And I, and I did some of this stuff. I did some of the reach out to some mentors and some, some Christ-centered men that I knew. Um, and that went for, a, went well for a while. And then, after that period of time, I would say after six, eight months of, of really pursuing that, maybe I thought I was healed or I, I don't really know what I thought, but I stayed, I would say pure for a while. I don't honestly know how long, 
I think I think um, a lot of guys when there's a period of behavior or freedom from the behavior, we think we're healed. I went right. through that for two and a half years. Yeah. I was like, nah, there's yeah. still I don't more think hard I made work. It two and a half years. Right. Yeah. Right. I was more deceived than um, you were, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, you you worked harder at the beginning. Yeah. So, uh, and through self pity, you know, I really my wife was still hurting, right? We, I will say, so So my wife is a great woman. And what she did when the first thing happened, she turned her attention to the family, like, like a mother hen. She grabbed her, you know, her little chicks under her wings. She tucked everything in and it was full on battle. And I think that went on for a couple of years where she made sure that their lives and their, their existence was, was whole and that they were protected. And in that, I kind of thought, I think I kind of felt like, oh, well, she's good. We've moved on from this. We're going along well. After a couple of years, then I think it really hit her. Like, it's she started to deal with herself. And I wasn't ready for that. I was like, what the heck? We've already been through this. And I'm certainly not blaming her for what I, I can see the great way that went, but I was not prepared and I was, and, and I was not able to really do that. I took it very personally, which I mean, I guess is true, but really stupid. Mm. And I, so I began to fall backwards again and, uh, I walked right back into where I had been before and it all cul- culminated again with another affair. And she's, uh, this was again, found out and then have, you know, we restarted, everything again we restarted all of the purity and freedom and everything that we've done and uh, it's just come you know the last eight ten months where it's really been walking in that freedom mm. daily and, and uh, the relief and the joy that comes from that is so real wow Thank you for sharing that, Nandy, um, a bit of your story there. And I think it's fitting, you being a NASCAR driver, and this next question I, I have for you, but kind of that uh, mentality when you're in the midst of a battle with porn, we, we have two separate lives, and one of their lives is the one where we put our mask on and we craft a well-fashioned facade so that our inner life isn't seen. Um, we try to outpace or erase, outrace that inner life. We try to look a certain way on the outside at the behest of our ins- inner life where we're, we're really suffering. But on the outside, maybe we look like we're doing okay. Maybe we're highly successful. And then eventually that inner life, it comes spilling out and everything comes crashing down. So maybe describe that because it, it sounds like, I mean, you're very successful at what you did. And often when that happens, yeah, there, there's a lot of pain that we're not allowing to be dealt with because we think we can outperform it. And, um, I'm so, so how was that process for you? Cause eventually we have to come to a place where we need help. We got to put down that mask. We got to invite God into it and we got to be real with what's going on. So what was that like for you? Cause I'm sure that was very hard to do. <laughs> it was. So part of who I am actually fueled into a lot of that. I have had an ability and I don't know if it's, I won't say it's a positive ability, but it's real that I have an ability to compartmentalize. And it was actually brought to me by another counselor when he had read a quote that I had actually been quoted in saying in a, in a interview where during racing, we were racing with uh, my teammate for the lead and for the eventual win in this race. 
and the uh, interviewer asked me, would you have wrecked him? Would you have caused him to crash to win the race? And my response to the interviewer was, I would, I would crash my mother to win the race. That's not even a question. And as arrogant and pompous as that sounds, it's, it's just totally a, a figment of, of that compartmentalization. I could put that all in a box. And in a way, I think you had to. You, you can't. It'd be hard to run into a corner with 40 of your closest friends at 200 miles an hour, you know, three inches apart, knowing that any mistake could literally cost someone their life if you can't put that in a box and just accept all realities. Um, that's how I lived my life. So I was, I was excellent at, at portraying what I want to portray. I was a deacon in the church. I have this family. Look, look, I have these daughters we talked about that are playing super high level soccer. And I have, I have all this going on. I have a successful company. Um, I'm a pilot. I have an airplane. I have a boat. I have all the toys anybody could want, but you know what I really have? I've got this other side of me that I don't let anybody see that is a complete train wreck. It is a complete um, it flies completely in the face of anything that God designed for me. And that causes a lot of chaos. And it, it certainly, when it starts to become known, it causes a lot of damage. And, and, the, and the fear of living with that every day is something that I carried for years. Probably part of the joy now, in fact, a large part is I don't have to carry that stuff anymore. I don't have to walk that road. I don't have to live two lives. But uh, I think that we, as I say, Americans, even though you guys are, you know, from the northernmost state, <laughs> <laughs> we're just part of you guys. Right? Yes, <laughs> we're like like church culture in in our area. Is, is very much like I'd said earlier about checking a box. You know, I'm here. I'm a deacon in the church. I got my wife and kids here. It's Sunday. Can we hurry up and wrap this up? You know, NFL football starting here pretty quick. We got it going. That, that I, I think that mentality leads to a lot of this. We have to show we can't be vulnerable and we can't actually show the cracks in our armor. And I was good at it. I was really good at it. Yeah, I can so relate to it. I've said before on the podcast that once I that when I was in hockey, I didn't think that I was arrogant. But when I came out of hockey, I was in a Christian circle. I was like, "Ooh, I'm like the most arrogant person here." And this is actually I've never told this. I don't know if I've told anybody, but I don't, I'll just throw it out there to the world. I don't. It's one of the most embarrassing things I can remember I ever said. I remember I was with someone a couple of years after I was in junior and I said to them like yeah you know what like when when people used to be in a room with me like they would feel really like it was a really cool opportunity <laughs> I was like what? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's terrible it's like the worst like so arrogant I'm embarrassed even saying it but you get just get built up in this like and it, but it, it the reality is that is true though like when you're even like small town junior hockey in Canada or your NASCAR like that is true they're all talking about you they're all wanting your autograph they're all like it's just so unhealthy now it's like I go it places is. and people know that I'm there and I'm like me like who am I and it's just so different it's so oh it's so relieving to not be like that anymore and and so I've, I say all that to say I can relate to you but I've also seen such a shift in you even in the time that I've known you because we I've even brought a couple things up that you said early on and you're like oh yeah I remember you saying that 
or I remember saying that because it's like <laughs> you're so much more broken and probably humble now, um, right? And so it's just great. Yeah, I, that feeling, I, I think back to some of the things I've said and I didn't even, like I wasn't trying to be arrogant. I wasn't trying to be that guy. I just was that guy. So it it was a natural outflowing of who I was. And the worst part is, for me, when I think about it, that didn't stop when I left the autograph tent. That didn't stop when I, that, that was my life. And what a miserable existence. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 is, it is humbling. And I, I know exactly what you feel. You're like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. It's just like, it's crazy. I know. I remember you telling this story and maybe you could expand on it. You don't have to, but you were on a day off, you were watching other drivers that were high level drivers, right? And they were taking mm-hmm. a turn. You mm-hmm. couldn't believe how fast they were going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is it the next day you went and you were faster? Your time was faster? No, it was, it was, we were actually, so we were at Texas motor speedway and I was racing the, I, the Xfinity race for anybody that's a NASCAR fan. So the Saturday race, and uh i was struggling with turns one and two so after after our practice and uh and we had done what you know would be a mock what we call a mock qualifying run so we had done you know two laps you know new tires fully taped up which means you put duct tape actually over the grill and it keeps the air going over the car instead of through the radiator and it, it makes a dramatic difference on the way the car drives and the speed but of course it causes the car to heat up. So you can only do it for like two laps. So you do that for qualifying. So we've done a full mock qualifying run and I wasn't very happy. I thought the car was pretty good. I thought the driver wasn't that good. So I told the uh, crew chief, I was going to actually go is it's Friday. So the race is on Saturday. I told the crew chief. So after that um, cup practice or, you know, the Sunday race, they were out practicing. I said, I'm going to go and I'm actually going to sit in the stands over in turns one. And I want to watch these guys go through the corner because I'm not getting through there. Right. My, my entry points are, or my landmarks are not where they need to be. So, okay. So I went up and sat there and I grabbed my stopwatch and uh, yeah, the two guys out there were uh, Matt Kenza and Kevin Harvick. And I was watching them go and they went by me and they literally took my breath away. It was like, holy cow, those guys are going so fast. So I grabbed my stopwatch and I started timing them and they were, you know, three quarters of a second slower than we had just run because we were, they were in race trim and we were in what we'd call mock-up qualifying run. But it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty uh, amazing when you sit back. So I can tell anybody that's listening that goes to NASCAR races or something, I, it is very fast, but it does not feel that fast in the car until you're upside down or backwards or, you know, right. um, start to hit something then it feels pretty fast. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so with that, like I, I remember a, a, someone a year and a half ago, full out addicted personality or not personality, but like just lifestyle. They said to me, they're like, I don't think it's that extreme and it's extreme to everybody around this person they can see. And it's the same with what you're saying. You're watching other people. Everyone can see the reality of it but when you're in it you don't really realize it and so i think this could help people like what has been the process for you of opening your eyes to the destruction in your marriage that you caused or the destruction in your family because when you were in the midst of it everything was just hidden and even you probably didn't even fully realize it oh for sure satan hides so much i mean that's what he is he's a deceiver so he loves to keep you 
on that track. And yeah, there are a lot of things that I think there, there are things that you fall for, things that you start to believe that simply aren't true. One is you start to believe, like I, when I was in the middle of it, oh, it's no big deal. Nobody's really getting hurt. Nobody's going to care. Even if this were found out, my wife were to divorce me, the kids will be fine. These are all lies that that I bought into, and they are total. And 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 because in that moment, it's hard to love yourself. It's really hard to put any value on yourself. So in your eyes, you really don't have any value to anyone else. At least I didn't. I'll talk. I shouldn't say we, you, me. I didn't feel like I had any value. Um, if I really boiled down to it, so I couldn't have value to anyone else. I don't have value to me. But that's not true because. I do have value and you do have uh, an immense amount. I, I can only imagine even like right down to, to suicidal um, tendencies or, or thoughts. I think that's a trap we fall into. Like I don't have any value anyway. And it's, it's not true. You have value because God says you have value. You have value because you're told that you are a, a priceless creation. And not only that, you have value to those around you. You know, um, my wife has proven beyond what I can even begin to say what it means in earthly terms to have unconditional love. If uh, There are a lot of people that don't know our story, and they may think I'm great, and they may think that, you know, they, they don't know, right? We don't know what's going on behind anybody's mm-hmm. uh, walls. But uh, I can tell you that my life, I, I, think, I think a telltale sign to everybody that I've talked to about this and people that have been down the same road is your life will tell it. Uh, I would schedule my days around my sexual activity. I would, uh, I am self-employed, right? So it gives me a certain amount of freedom. Well, it would be pretty easy for me to say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go to the strip club at three o'clock today. I can, I can maneuver my schedule and I'll be gone for an hour. Nobody will even know it. Uh, I would challenge the guys that say, oh, I'm not really into it. I'm not really, you know, it's not that big of a deal or, you know, it's not, is to say, do, do you do that? Well, I could, uh, I, you know, if I stay at the office here uh, another hour, nobody will be here and I can watch porn or mm-hmm. my wife will go to bed at 10 and I can do this. I think it's a telltale sign when you're, when you're scheduling your day, based around your addiction, based around your deviancy, it's not a fun place to be. No, no, it's not. And it's, well, it's a funny way that, I mean, God cares too much about us. We've said this, that he eventually will expose us. And when he does it, often we're in a situation where things are found out versus us disclosing. <laughs> and, and that can be yeah. very painful to our loved ones um, and very difficult. But God just loves us too much to let us wallow in that that mire and that darkness. And I'm curious too, because I know that when you're talking about the enemy lies to us to keep us in that darkness and doesn't want us to expose that sin because when it's, the sin's in darkness, it, it grows, it festers, it grows, it gets worse. But when you get into the light, it, it loses its power. It, sin loses its power in the light. And, and that's when we, we come out and we um, reveal things. Uh, God's kind. He, he leads us in a, in, a, in a really amazing journey of doing this, even though it's hard. Um, but through that, sin loses his power over us. And I'm just curious, when, was there a particular point for you when some of those lies that you're believing, all of a sudden you confront them? 
and you realize, hey, this isn't, this isn't real. This isn't true. This isn't from God. I need to address this. Was there a point, specific point, or maybe was it a process or journey? What, what do you remember about that? I know that, especially when I started to really, I'll say, come out of it, come out of the, the haze that that creates, is I remember my wife saying, you look different you're happier and and i remember feeling that like i had a different load on my shoulders a specific event is a little harder to pinpoint but there have been what i'll say milestone events that have created positive uh, momentum in that type of situation one of which and i know matt knows this was uh six months ago i took a polygraph test and it was stressful my wife was concerned she she was scared that I had fallen back or I was beginning to pursue that life again and so we went through the test and the uh, the results were the truth and they were they were positive but that was a uh, that was an event that afterwards had had very positive direction and it, and it gave me a feeling of I struggle with feeling forgiven um, a term that I, that I struggled with and that I don't really like is forgiving myself. I, I did struggle to forgive myself or at least accept God's forgiveness. When I think of forgiving myself, it, it brings me right to, uh, to almost just arrogance and blasphemy. Like I, I can't forgive myself. I don't have that power. Um, and at the same time, I don't have that power. I don't have the authority to hold myself captive. Uh, I'm given grace and I'm given forgiveness and I had to accept that, but uh, it's it's not my job to forgive myself. But I think I've struggled for a long time, or I did struggle for a really long time, accepting that forgiveness. We, uh, a mentor of mine, and I talked about this a lot, and we talk about it, calling it like the bloody club, right? You carry this club around your, and and you smack yourself on the head with it. You know, uh, uh, I'm reminded of if you've seen Harry Potter, there's there's a scene in one where where there's a, an elf, I think his name is Dobie, and every time he thinks he does something wrong, he smacks his head against the wall and he, he does all these things. And we were actually watching that. I'm not endorsing Harry Potter. I'm just saying that was a realization to me. Like, that's what we do, right? We like mm-hmm. we like to carry it. We do it in secret. It's it's a, it's a it's out there in the movie. Like, like uh, this is, you know, a part of his character, but we do it to ourselves in secret you know like uh, i i i can't accept this goodness that's given to me i can't accept the forgiveness and the grace because it it is a form of arrogance to me because it's like me saying yeah god i know it's really easy for you to accept those guys and forgive those guys that does but maybe you don't really know everything i did maybe you don't really know how bad i've hurt people and um i i think that's a complete lie too it's like what do you what are you talking about? I was there the whole time. I mean, that's what I hear him saying. And, and to me, it's like, yeah, you, you know, I, I, I get kind of sarcastic with myself where I'm like, he's back there going, you are so dumb. Uh, what does it take for you to learn what I've done for you and actually accept it? You say you accept it. You think you accept it. But uh, that, that line, you know, that 12 inches between my brain and my heart sometimes is really long. So the process of accepting God's grace, the process of understanding uh, 
that he values me in a way that uh, is beyond my comprehension is something that has taken a while, but that's really taking hold. That's actually really cool. You said though, that, that when you're beating yourself up, you don't actually fully accept his forgiveness because if we fully walk in his grace, we're not beating ourselves up anymore because he never beats us up. And so he doesn't want us to, too. I, I, I love it. And and it sounds like instead of forgiving yourself, it draws you closer to Christ, draws you closer to his forgiveness because you have to receive him, which ultimately that's what we want is we have to know him in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no, there's no other choice. There is nothing else. I can't, I, I just said, I can't forgive myself. So that has no validity whatsoever. If I say, Andy, you're off the hook, that means nothing. So I have to take that bloody club and put it at the foot of the cross and say, here it is. You, you, you are it, right? I, I, I acknowledge everything that's going on, everything I've done, even things I can't remember, but I acknowledge this all to you and you're it. And I fully lean on you because I've got nothing left. That's profound, Danny. And uh, it's so great to hear the journey that you're on. Maybe just speak to this because I know that there's a lot of people listening that don't know how they can pick up the pieces of their life. Um, don't see hope around the corner. Don't understand what you're talking about even. Uh, how do I receive that? Sure. How do I really allow God to speak versus the lies that I'm hearing all the time? So maybe just being that you're on that journey, you are on a healing journey. And um, so maybe just talk to people that are say something in, in that regard, because there are people that maybe want to know that there is hope. And so just speak that out of your story. Sure. I can only tell you what I think I needed to hear. And that is that you're not on an Island. You're not alone and sin and darkness faster the best when they're, when you're alone. So you, it's trying to keep you isolated uh, the enemy is trying to keep you fearful and people for one I've learned and this is a process and, and this is actually a little scary for me doing this people uh, can be cruel but they also can be extremely understanding because in the end we're all fighting our own battles but the only real way that you're going to walk out of this is to bring it to the light and to get around some people that will draw you closer to Christ and work with you through that forgiving process. And it is the most freeing thing you'll ever do, but it takes, it takes guts because it's hard. It's really hard to bend your knee. It's really hard to surrender because you probably don't want to. Uh, There's a flesh side. My flesh side had to come to a point where I could really understand. Do you know why I do this? Because it makes me feel better. Because in the end, my flesh side likes this. But I didn't really figure out that it didn't. But it definitely fed. Well, the flesh side likes it, but it wars with the spirit. And uh, the spiritual side is so much more uplifting than the flesh side can ever be. It's mm. awesome. It is, it is so uplifting. And part of that, if we could just wrap up with this, is I know that you just did a second polygraph test. And I, I just want you to share the difference between that one and the first one, because the first one, you still were confident you'd pass, but you'd never done it before. Second one, you're Correct. like, ah, this is fine. I know I'm going to pass. Speak to the difference in, in having that freedom in your soul versus being unsure if you're going to get found out. 
Well, so so the freedom of my soul was great because I, I had no issues. My fears, I'll bring this back to your racing. I know we went to a couple places and I remember the talking to drivers that I'd never been to before. And they would tell me you could you could flat foot the race car here, which meant basically you could put it on the floor and drive it all the way around, never have to lift off the gas like you would maybe in a local go-kart arena, right? Well, that's a little uh, terrifying at 200 miles an hour. You, you, it doesn't always add up. Like I can go into this corner as fast as I'm going down the straightaway, right? So you have to put a lot of faith in this machine that uh, everybody tighten the bolts, right? Yeah. Uh, was, yeah. was, has, the, has the steel been you know, was it sonic tested correctly? Everything is everything good. Is there a flaw? Cause if there's a flaw, it's going to find it. That's going to hurt. So, so for me, their stress was a lot of putting faith in a machine, putting faith in something that would have so much power, but there, it, it is pretty amazing how things work. I, I don't need to get into that, but it is pretty amazing, but yes. So the second time I had gained some faith in the machine I knew that I was pure. I knew that there was no, there was no fear in me of anything that could be asked based on, you know, my past or, or what I was involved in. So yeah, it was that part of freedom was fantastic, you know, and, and it, it built a lot of anxiety in my life. And, and, and I can understand that because I'm a, I'm a fantastic, maybe even pathological liar if need be. And, uh, or I was, and so I can understand her fears. And so it was, uh, it was the least I felt I could do. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, to, to do a polygraph and, uh, based on kind of the past that you've been where you are now, and that's where you're able to just feel that freedom. Cause you're, you're fully open and honest with where you are in life and what God's done. And that's, that's incredible. And it's a great point to mm-hmm. kind of end on that. Um, we all can get there in the sense of how God leads us directs us into the point where we are fully open and that's a freeing feeling that's an amazing feeling a lot of joy in that and um, god wants to lead us there and so thank you andy so much for sharing your story opening up to us here and everybody listening and uh, just being willing to pass this on to others because uh, story is so vital and it helped me helped matt hearing other people's story so thank you andy for doing this you guys, uh, thanks for letting me be on here. And yeah, anything I can do to help someone would be awesome. So if, uh, if this story reaches one person and uh, helps them on their journey, then it's all worth it. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.